0: Hello, hello, welcome to The V-Hive, your go-to podcast for all things women's intimate health. I'm your host, Hannah, here to discuss the many questions you've always had about your body, but never wanted to ask. Whether it relates to sex, chronic pain, trauma, relationships, healing, hormones, spirituality, and so much more, we are normalizing taboos, breaking down the complexities of the female body, and providing you with the information you need to take your health into your own hands. Before we get into this week's episode, which is absolutely incredible, and I am so excited for you guys to hear it, I want to quickly tell you all, if you don't already know, about the new V-Hive candles. They are hand-poured, made with soy wax and plant-based fragrance oils, made in New York. The scent is vetiver, softwoods, and musk. They're so pretty. They smell so good. The wax is light pink, so when the candle burns, it literally is just this pink glowing color. They're amazing and all the proceeds obviously go to supporting the VHive. So please check them out, buy one, um, support this podcast. It really means a lot to me. You can buy them at the And I also want to quickly mention that I just added a new page to the website. So under the shop tab, there is a sub tab called products I love. And I have put all of my favorite products there that I have discount codes to. So you can easily just see the product, the discount code, the percentage that you'll get off. And I just wanted to create this for you guys because now all of the products that I share are curated in one place so you can see them and access the discount codes. So check out the candles, check out the new products I love page and Let's get right into the episode. Today, I'm here with Trish Barillas. She is a life coach, author, and creator of Positive Change. Her specialties are anxiety, breakups, and job advancements. She is also the author of A Face of Anxiety, a book that began on Instagram and is now published. So I am excited to have you here today, and I think that this is a fitting episode, um, a fitting time to discuss all things anxiety. So thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to share.
0: So, I mean, let's just get right into it. What I really want to know is, like, how did you get to a place where you are so comfortable and open talking about your experience with anxiety and actually turning it into your career?
1: So I've always knew that I was going to become a, a life coach. It's something that I... I was uh, adamantly about studying in terms of human behavior and psychology, so I knew that I would be in this space uh, in my later years of life. I didn't think I would talk about anxiety to the extent that I do because I was so ashamed of it. Um, and the shame that I actually had a a mental illness. So it's taken uh, definitely many years, lots of therapy, a solid tribe, a team of healers. And because I am so open about it and writing a book on my journey and my struggle and the fact that it was so public kind of just cracked that wide open and I just couldn't hide from it. And my decision to share it kind of allowed me to just accept where I was in my life and accept that I do have a mental illness. This is what affects people. And I knew how alone I felt in my suffering that I wanted to write the book for someone like myself that I needed at you know a young age in my life. And there was nothing that was available to me. So I wanted to make a a difference and a change, even if it was one person. Um, And then I realized there's a huge community. And then it just became kind of um, super easy. And now I talk about it as if somebody was asking me, you know, what I eat for breakfast.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I know, I mean, there's so much shame and stigma and taboo. And once you can, you know, figure out a way to get comfortable talking about it and accepting it, it just becomes another thing that's okay and safe to talk about.
1: Right, it's something that, yes, it, it brings a lot of shame because everybody tries to fit, and I like to talk about it in a sense of non-anxious versus anxious people, not anxious people versus normal people, because that's how we kind of grew mm-hmm. up is, I just want to be normal. And what's this idea of normal? And we are anxious people, and then we can't compare ourselves to non-anxious people. And the more comfortable that we get accepting who we are, you know, good, bad, ugly, and the more that we talk about it, right? So mm-hmm. it's the talking about that keeps it in the dark. If we don't talk about it, then it feels like this there's something wrong with it. And there's something wrong with people that have anxiety or to what degree. And because anxiety affects everybody, but it affects everyone differently. I think that um, there's just so many different levels that people assume, oh, well, I have healthy anxiety. Why can't you just relax? Why can't you just think about something else, etc. Uh, that is not the way that people operate when they're suffering from a mental illness and anxiety disorder. It's an entirely different beast. It can't be addressed the same as healthy anxiety. So there is a lot of taboo. There is a lot of stigma with how you seek treatment. What is your treatment? Is it meds, not meds? And everybody has an opinion on it, but have they actually walked in your suffering? Mm -hmm. And if they haven't walked in your suffering, then I say, stay out of, stay out of my, my health journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. In terms of shame, I think that, I mean, I, I know, and, and I'm sure you, you do know as well that shame is probably one of the biggest things that gets in the way of overcoming something such as anxiety. How did you figure out the, the way that worked For you to overcome the shame that you had and I guess how can other people kind of learn to overcome their own shame
1: uh it's it has a lot to do with the ego you know what you want you what you want people to see of yourself you know how do others perceive me what are their judgments of me um how do I want to uh present myself to the world what version of that do I want? Mm -hmm. And I was shameful to really put out the true version because I, I spent all my life creating this idea of me that I was, you know, this badass um, minority Latina short, uh, woman in, in nightlife in New York city. And I was making it. How could I ever admit that I have a mental illness? Like I felt as if that took away from my success. Yeah. And that was an ego thing. Um, so until I really got real with myself and said, is it worth all this suffering? You know, is my version that I put out worth it because I'm the one that's hurting, mm-hmm. not other people. So once I made peace with, you know what, this is a part of me. It actually makes me who I am. And it made me great at my job. So there's, there's two different sides to anxiety there. Yes, there's the struggle, but then there's also the gifts. What can it do to your life that actually makes you who you are and something you might be proud of? So mm-hmm. I was great at my jobs because of my my anxiety and uh, I needed to own it and I needed to own every part about me. So once I decided to let go of my ego, I was able to just sit with myself and say, you know what, this is who I am. And I'm still great. And I'm still successful. But if somebody judges me, that's not for me to carry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's on them. Mm -hmm. Um, And for others, you know, I think it also depends on the stage that you're at in life, you know, your 20s, you're trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do? And what feels cool? Or what's going to make me money? And then in your 30s, you're almost thinking about, okay, well, now what makes me who I am? You know, what type of job do I want to be associated with? And then in your forties, you're like, well, this is who I am. Good, bad, indifferent, take it or leave it. So it really, it really happened with maturity. It happened because I went and found the right healers and also my community, the people I surrounded myself with were very open-minded and, that is what really helped me to get past the shame. And now I own every piece of it, and no one can make me feel bad about my choices. I don't allow that to happen because I've done so much work.
0: Mm-hmm. Who are your healers? Who, you know, are the, the, the team of people that have helped you?
1: So, my team of healers is my acupuncturist. My natural path, my general practic- practitioner, my therapist, my psychiatrist, my Maoris. There are they are healers from New Zealand. So there's a there's a large variety in there. I do spiritual, Western, Eastern. Um, I try to tap it into all of it and see what works, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some things that work better for, let's say. My anxiety side then there's other things that work better for my spiritual side but the goal is to to find some balance within yourself Mm -hmm. Uh, with any type of uh, anxiety mental illness you just don't feel grounded it's scary yeah you know we don't feel safe so that's why I say it takes a team of healers to tap into all of these buckets to get you realigned the body and the mind are constantly seeking balance Um, but it's up to us to really be able to go into each one of these avenues and see, okay, does this work for me? If it doesn't, then we leave it, move on, try something else. Um, It's trial and error. It might not be just this one thing. It might be a group of things that Mm -hmm. will help you on your way.
0: Yeah. I think another one of the big things that gets in the way of someone's ability to overcome their anxiety is not actually being able to identify the triggers like what causes their anxiety do you yeah. know what i'm saying well, that's
1: yeah that's what anxiety is rooted in right it's it's the unknown um it's the uh irrational way of thinking because there's no x factor yeah. healthy anxiety is when You can take something in and out or, um, or you're going to go to a job interview. And then once you're in there, the anxiety dissipates. So there's usually an X factor and it's very clear about what it is. When we're experiencing extreme anxiety, there's no pinpoint. It's like this, this feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, your body's in fight or flight. So your body is in distress but we can't really figure out the why to it. You know, yeah. like you wake up and you know, your stomach's in a knot, you can't take deep breaths. Uh, your heart might be racing and you haven't done anything different than the day before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: it, it, and that's the scary part. Cause you're, you know, if we were able to take the X factor and, and deal with that, then the anxiety will dissipate. This is, is so internal, it's so mental that that's when you, you have to start to address and do a lot of inventory on your body to see, okay, I may not know what the exact root is or what the thought is, but how do I get myself a little bit calmer? How do you give your body peace? How do you get yourself grounded? So I try to stay away from the why and then deal with the, the managing of it because it's mm-hmm. going to pop up and we may not know why. And then when we consistently are in that cycle, then it becomes your norm, right? right? So then you look back and think, wow, I was really anxious. But at the time, that was your baseline. That was your norm. So you didn't see it because you were living it every day. So that's why it's important to always check in with your body and figure out, okay, is is something changing? You know, like, am am I feeling unsettled? Is my body trying to tell me something that maybe I can't recognize.
0: That's so interesting. Do you think it is important, though, to be able to identify what triggers your anxiety?
1: Um, I think if you work with the right mental health professional, it is so helpful to figure out what your type of anxiety looks like. Um, And the first step is one, admitting that you might be more anxious than someone that's not anxious. Um, and to what degree, and then identifying okay, what are some triggers, physical triggers in my life, and then what are my thought triggers? Thoughts can bring on anxiety. Mm-hmm. So anxiety lives in the past and in the future. It doesn't thrive in the present. So it's always I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? What if I do this? What if this happens? It can't. It can't thrive in the present, which is why we have to get better at doing the inventory and getting ourselves grounded so we're not living in the past and the future.
0: That is so interesting. It's so true when you think about, wow. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bit, it's very simple at its core, uh-huh. but man, it is. it can wreak havoc um, on yourself internally. And with pandemic, that's where we're at. You know, everybody's scared about the future. What if I don't um, get my job back? What if we don't reopen? Um, How am I going to make money? We are deeply, deeply afflicted by so much anxiety because it's now a community anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, we we feed off other vibrations and the whole world is in an anxious state. There's no way people are not anxious right now. It it would be impossible. Um, So now more than ever... We have to figure out how to get ourselves grounded.
0: I'm, yeah, I mean, speaking of the pandemic, I was gonna, I had a few questions I wanted to ask you about this at the end, but let's just go there now. I feel like everyone has some form of anxiety right now. It's obviously such an unsettling time. How, I mean, do you have any tips as to how people can? remain present, not worry. I mean, I guess it's, it's not possible to like not worry at all, but like, do you have any tips for people right now? Because everyone's struggling.
1: Yes. Um, so what I recommend is to always try to stick to the facts of your situation. So anxiety doesn't uphold when you throw facts at it because it's not based in anything real. So when we're anxious, especially about pandemic times, you know, when will this end? What if I don't get a job? What if I, you know, whatever your what is statements, the way that you can back that up is stay day to day. So what is my current reality today? Today, I have a job. Today, I'm able to pay my bills. Today, I'm not sick. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, uh, you know, whatever that is. Pandemic has made us look at our lives almost week to week because the world is consistently changing. So we can't live too far in the future. It's There is too much anxiety there and we can't change the past, it's happened. Right. So I try to get people to go week by week. Mm-hmm. Let's get through today. And then tomorrow, let's worry about tomorrow. I know health anxiety is a huge one right now. Um, so what are the things that you are able to do to keep yourself um, at a minimal risk. You know, what do you know about uh, this virus that will help you stay safer and practice that? But know that that, that is as much as you can do. Mm-hmm. We can only do what we can do, right? Right. Um, we can't control what happens to the world, but we can absolutely control our actions and our response to things. Yeah. So if we stay if we stay within the small moments. That's going to help alleviate the anxiety and just say, okay, today I am safe. Today I can do X, Y, Z. Today I don't need to worry about my job or um, getting sick. Now tomorrow's a new day and we'll see what tomorrow brings. So it's really sticking to the what is my situation rather than what if.
0: I think what it comes down to is wanting a plan but actually not being able to have one.
1: Right. Well, it's the, it's, it, again, it's funny because a lot of anxiety sufferers, the, the most common is that we are very detailed oriented. Mm-hmm. We need a plan, we need structure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every, I mean, listen, I make calendars that are color coded. <laughs> I mean, and then that is just to like take care of my dog right <laughs> like, that's not even just my business. So those are soothing on airplanes I'm I one of my triggers is flying. I make Excel spreadsheets. I find them so soothing and I love them. Other people will think that they are the worst thing that they have to be assigned to, mm-hmm. but I choose to do it. So we're all just so different and I understand that need of okay I would I feel better when I have a plan but then, now it's not going to go to plan. Now what? Right. So as long as I think you can manage your expectations, like, okay, so here's option one, right? This is how I would love for it to go. Now, what's my backup option two if it doesn't go to plan? You know, how can I make it a different, um, a different uh, outlook, a different perspective where it's not as maybe heavily uh, ingrained in a certain timeline. So I always have, okay, I would love for this to work out, whatever this side looks like. If I can't do that, what's the bare minimum that will make me feel better. And that might help in order to not just have one designated plan, but to have, um, another option mm-hmm. that makes you at least feel like, okay, I still feel somewhat structured. It might be very loose, but at least it feels like something.
0: hmm yeah that's really good advice and also something that kind of has been helping me a little bit and i've you know it's it's advice that i've also gotten is like if you can't make a month-long plan can you make a routine in your day can you keep some sort of daily routine or daily structure that no matter where you are you do this routine
1: yes i love um any type of i call them rituals right um, so a morning ritual, a night ritual, I have a morning mindfulness that I practice. I can do it wherever I am. It takes literally less than three minutes um, and it sets my day. So there, there are, there's so much to be said about routines um, because now we're not going into offices. We're not you know going to subways and meeting friends, etc. cetera. We have no distraction. We have, there's just too much idle time. So because of idle time, we need to create a better structure. So waking up at the same time every day is helpful. Eating lunch at the same time is helpful. Eating dinner at the same time. If there's something that you like to do in terms of stretching or workout or reading, try to do it at the same time because then you'll feel as if you're giving yourself a better balance. Mm-hmm. That's helped me during pandemic. Um I have a morning mindfulness practice that I absolutely love that I, I give to uh, probably every client that I speak to. Um, finding what works for you and what resonates, even if it's a walk. Right. you know, Even if it's a walk outside to get fresh air, do that, but then make sure that you adhere to it every day. And yeah. maybe it's a Monday through Friday thing. Give yourself the weekend off. Um, but rituals, routines, practices... We have to commit to them and abide by them as if they are built into our day. It mm-hmm. will absolutely help.
0: Can you share what your morning ritual is?
1: Oh, yeah. The morning mindfulness. Morning it's morning actually, fitness. it started with my cat. Mm-hmm. Um, she just uh, passed away. She's, she was 19. And every morning she would come and sit on my chest. And she was quite a large cat, so she's fat. And if I took my phone... To check anything, she would knock it out, knock it out of my hands. Oh my god! So every morning, for a good five minutes, she needed, she wanted me to pay attention, be present. So I would rub her, and I always lived in a bedroom with big windows, and I would look out the window, and I would use that time to ask myself questions. I would say to myself, "How did you sleep? Um, I have a lot of night terrors. That's part of my anxiety. So I go through my my dreams. Did I?" have anything triggering anything that I want to sort out how does my body feel um is there something that um doesn't feel feel right that needs stretching um I have a lot of neck issues I have some back issues um and then I ask myself what can I give myself during the day um that I am already aware of so sometimes if I'm exhausted for whatever reason i and i know this waking up i say to myself okay let's find 10 minutes to just rest my eyes so it's not a to-do list it's more of a how can i support myself for today in that day so that i feel that i can start my day going into something that feels lighter and more supportive as opposed to opening my eyes grabbing my phone being shocked by the news and cnn and whatever media outlet and then instagram and comparing Like, that's not a way that I personally want to wake up to the world. Um, I need to come into the world a little bit lighter because I know I'm an anxious person. I am affected by things that I read and things that I see. So, I wouldn't wake up and put the ring on at 8 a.m. Like, I wouldn't watch that. I wouldn't, well, one, I don't watch horror films, but why would I expose myself to media if it's triggering? So, because of my cat, Mia, Um, I now wake up and I do this any place I am. I do it here in Guatemala, I'll do it in hotels. I wake up, I turn the alarm off and then I spend two to three minutes checking in with my body, asking myself what I need. And then even if I need to survive. So uh, when we just moved back, we got stuck in Guatemala for three months when pandemic started. Then I had to move back to New York, move out of my apartment into another apartment It was just mayhem, and I was coaching full-time. So I would wake up in the morning, and I would just say, I need to survive today. That Mm -hmm. is my goal. My goal is to survive, and that's all I needed. And I allowed myself permission to say that, um, and that changed the dynamic of my day. And when I don't do this practice, let's say I'm awoken by my husband screaming that the dog puked, or I, I mean, it's jolting and my day's thrown off, I feel off. So I try to give myself a little bit of time for um, intention, intention to check in with myself, permission to feel however I want to feel. And then my feet hit the ground. Um, and that that is how I now, or how I've always started my day for the past 19 years. And even with my cat being gone, um, it's still something that I I practice and I adhere to because it's so beneficial for my mental health.
0: That's so good. I I got chills when you said, I just need to survive today because I, I think that a lot of us feel that way.
1: Yes. I mean, we're global pandemic. Yeah. I'm, yeah. This is, we are in it. We are suffering. People are suffering. We don't know how to survive. So my goal sometimes is I want to just survive the day. Let me get through this day and then I'm going to deal with tomorrow. Um, That is where we're at. That is reality. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay if, and with my clients, one of the biggest things I like to say is I'm not trying to win 10 out of 10 times because that would mean we're cured, right? I I would be a multi-billionaire, you know, selling cures to anxiety all day. So the goal is to win nine out of 10 times. Let's try to manage the anxiety nine out of 10 times. If the anxiety, we can't win. And if you wake up and you're in it and you're having a a really crap day, that's okay. It's okay. Allow yourself to have that. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: then that's the days that you're like, I just want to survive. And then tomorrow is a new day and treat it as a new day. Try not to let the day before impede on that next day.
0: I think, one of the biggest challenges is that when, you know, I wake up or we wake up, whoever wakes up feeling anxious or sad or tired. I hate to say this, but like in a way, it, I mean, it is true. Society has really conditioned everyone to just feel like we need to be happy and up and productive all the time. And that's obviously not realistic that's no one can function like that but what what happens is that that when we wake up and we have those days where we don't feel a hundred percent we feel like we need to feel we I can't feel this way I need to feel better I need to have more energy I need to be in a better mood I need to be productive today and I think that's a lot of times where the struggle comes about is resisting the way that you feel because you think that you need to feel a different way.
1: Yeah. Well, what you were, what you resist will persist. Yeah. That's always, you know, that's always a strong statement. Um, if you don't allow yourself to feel, if you don't allow yourself the outlet, it's going to pop up when you don't want it to,
0: mm-hmm. you know, Yeah.
1: and it's going to show up either physically or mentally. I like eat before pandemic, because as an anxious person, um, there are days that I get hit hard for unknown reasons. I declare mental health days that that is my term. I say, I declare this a mental health day. Um, I can decide, can I get through a work day if I can great, but then after my work day, if I need to shut my phone off and shut down and watch, uh, you know, my go-to anxiety movies that are comforting, then that's what I'm going to do and not feel bad about it when my husband and I were dating we weren't living together even if he and I had plans I told him earlier on obviously from the from the get-go about my anxiety disorder and I told him there are days that I might need to say it's a mental health day which means it's not about you it's about me I'm not canceling because of something that you did I need to preserve myself And the way I do that is I go internal and I need to self soothe and I need to bring in all of my coping mechanisms. So I, I made sure he was aware of that before I even got to that stage. And then I knew it was going to pop up eventually. And when it did, I would say, Hey, can't do this uh, mental health day. And he knew exactly what that meant. He didn't make it about him. Mm -hmm. He didn't take it personally. And then I, I shut down. I, I, you know, turned my phone off, watched my movies, ate what was comforting to me. And I gave myself that whole day, whatever that was. So allowing yourself to have those mental health days, you can't be on all the time. Can't. And we can't fake it.
0: I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so true. And it's so important to express that because then you just will leave whoever it is confused like if you don't tell your your boyfriend or husband or friend or whoever they're just going to be confused and it will create a bigger problem that is completely avoidable
1: right now people are living with family you know pandemic has displaced people so we need to communicate to whomever we're sharing space with
0: Mm -hmm.
1: about what you're going through and for those people with children or single moms um, that's when you would have to ask for help. Yeah, you know, there is so much um, shame too, in asking for help. Uh, there's power in vulnerability. There's so much power in vulnerability because you are saying to yourself, "I can't do this alone. And nobody can. That's why the term it, it says it takes a, vi- a village. that's that didn't just get made up randomly. Because it really does take a village. And we have to understand that we can't do it all and we shouldn't expect anybody to. So if you're someone that doesn't like to be vulnerable, that would be the work, Mm -hmm. right? How Mm -hmm. do how do I ask for help when I need it? If you're someone that knows another person that wouldn't ask for help, then try to ask if they need help. You know, like right now, we have to be supportive not destructive and not dismiss things if you see something that feels odd ask about it ask about it yeah i i have checked in with so many of my friends if i have a a feeling i'm like hey checking in because i just feel a bit off and i want to make sure you're okay and most of the time they're like oh my god thank you so much for asking i'm actually great um but i appreciate that Mm -hmm. so we really have to try to be very supportive of everybody around us. Um, And that, you know, the casting of judgment and opinions, that I get, everybody's going to have an opinion. That's fine, right? But you have to ask yourself, is my opinion helping someone or holding them back? Ask yourself that before you you place it somewhere.
0: Mm -hmm. Going back to our conversation from a few minutes ago where we were talking about routines I wanted to ask if you have advice for anyone listening who has trouble sticking to a routine whether it's you know a morning routine or a nighttime routine I think that understanding the importance of a routine is something that we can we know and we we accept but I think that sticking to it and really making that commitment is where a lot of us struggle.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's there's two parts to this. One, understanding what type of person you are. Are you a morning person or are you a night person? Um, I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. And I also feel that people cast shame on people that are night people, right? Like, oh, you should be productive and wake up at 7 a.m. and do your workout then and that is the rule to successful people Mm -hmm. says who though morning people right Mm -hmm. like they're probably morning people so figuring out what works for you at what times um forcing yourself to work out in the morning when you may not be a morning person is probably not going to work for you and you're not going to want to do it so understanding where you sit in that um Do you need a little bit more time to awake to the world? Are you maybe a lunch workout person or an evening, you know, figuring out that step? And then asking someone to hold you accountable, I find to be very helpful in your stages of trying to set up a routine. So if you have a partner, a friend, a family member, somebody in your household that can hold you accountable, which means you say to them, hey, I'm trying to start a routine. So I need you to be my accountability partner, and I'm gonna send you screenshots of each time that I do X, Y, Z. It doesn't have to be of you. It could just be, you know, maybe the the workout you're doing. It could be um, the walk you're going on. But knowing that you have to be accountable makes you want, makes you commit to it a bit better. And the hardest part is starting. And then once you create a pattern, it usually takes about 21 days to create a pattern once you're on that pattern, it's better to, it's, you can adhere to it more. Mm -hmm. So those are the two things I would say to start, um, to help get you situated.
0: Mm -hmm. Something else that I heard someone do, uh, someone I follow on Instagram the other day, she posted, this is kind of crazy, but like kind of makes sense. Um, she it, she posted a, a, I think she's doing a 40 day like meditation challenge with herself. And her way of committing to doing it is at the end, she's rewarding herself with a gift. So I guess there was something that she wanted to buy for herself. I don't know whether it was like a handbag or a jacket or whatever. And so she, I mean, that's obviously not sustainable forever but like in order to get into a habit it's like if you she was telling herself like if I commit to doing this for 40 days I'm going to reward myself with this gift I thought that was interesting
1: well because she she obviously wants this that badly Mm -hmm. right? right so it's like where's the where's the value are you um are you using something in terms of like a high value that makes you want to do it yeah. Um, the reason that I I find accountability partners work well is because you don't want someone else to think that you couldn't do it. So you 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 almost show up for them, but by default you're showing up for yourself. Now she really wants this bag. That's a high value for her. Right. So that high value will work. So it really just depends on how you know your body and your mind and what you think that you can commit to under what level, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so she's using a reward system, um, and that really works for her. Um, that might not work for, for everybody. Um, but she's decided, well, maybe she's a type of person that, that feels that buying this isn't warranted, right? right? Like it's pandemic times. I shouldn't be spending money, but if she's like, wow, what if I use it in a different sense? What if I work for it? And so that, that's the way that she constructed it, which is great. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think it, it's important to figure out what works for you and how are you motivated? What are you motivated by?
0: Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. When I saw that, I, I was like, wow, that's actually like, you know, there's a lot of things I want to do that I have trouble committing to. I'm like, I could see myself committing to something if I made if I made that sort of reward. I don't know. It it, it just stood out to me. But it spoke to you. Yeah, totally. Okay. So the last question I want to ask you is in regards to chronic pain, a lot of the listeners of this podcast have chronic pain. And I'm sure that a lot of the people you coach have some experience with chronic pain. I know you mentioned that you have you know, migraines and neck pain at times, uh, or do you know you said neck pain and back pain? But I I, I think that chronic pain and anxiety come pretty much hand in hand. And, you know, if you have chronic pain, that can cause anxiety. If you have anxiety, that can cause chronic pain. Do you have any insight into how people can, I guess, tackle the anxiety component of chronic pain.
1: Well, yes, it's a, it's a totally different beast. Um, I know the severity of chronic pain. I, I personally haven't gone through it the way that I I know others to be. Like I know Lady Gaga experienced mm-hmm. severe chronic pain. Um, it's you know, I guess when we're, when it's the, the chicken or the egg, right? So yeah. does my chronic pain produce anxiety or does my anxiety produce chronic pain, etc.? cetera? Um, the way that I think that our bodies um, have to heal is by trying to not figure out the why part. You know, I think we get stuck on the why, why is this happening? You know, why me? Why, why do I have X, Y, Z? with chronic pain. um, I don't know how often people can really solve that. I don't know what the success rate is with chronic pain. Um, But if we could maybe get to a place where you understand your body better, um, you understand how to get your mind and body to a better balance and finding peace, that should help alleviate the anxiety portion of it. Um, and with chronic pain, I'm assuming they're very similar in like trying everything under the sun, right? Going to every yeah. single doctor, taking X amount of pills. Um, you're, it's a journey. It's a very long journey. Um, anxiety is the same way. Uh, I think whatever whatever you need to do in order to not give up, Because sometimes I'm sure chronic pain, anxiety can get so bad that you don't see a way out. You know, it becomes very debilitating. Um, So being able to find communities and sharing what the struggle is and not giving up on yourself in terms of, okay, how do I keep myself in a good mental space to handle all of this? So I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful. Um, but that's as much as I think my, my expertise could probably speak on the, the chronic pain portion.
0: No, I think that's great. And I also just wanted to say that what you mentioned before where you were talking about um, the un, like just be, trying to remain in the present, I think that that's also so important for people with chronic pain because what chronic pain does to you is you're like worrying about – you know well what if I can't go on this trip I have planned in two months from now or what if I can't even go to this meeting tomorrow or you're just or you know if I what if I did something differently yesterday would I not be in pain today and I think that that's where a lot of the anxiety comes about in people who have chronic pain so I think that it's just like taking you know taking it day by day and just being like if I feel good today, I feel good today, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. And if I don't feel good today, I'm just going to accept the fact that I don't feel good.
1: Right? Yeah. I, that And that's a great um, assimilation mm-hmm. between the chronic pain, and anxiety, because you're right, it's, it's very similar in, okay, so how far do we let the fear take us? Exactly. You know, the, the fear, so fear is always worse than the reality.
0: A million percent. Yeah.
1: So, um, if, and, and that's because in reality, if you do go to a meeting and you are in a lot of pain or whatever it is that you're doing, we still have choices in those moments and you can still get up and leave. Take something, call someone. Like there's, mm-hmm. you're never the. Uh, I would assume the chronic pain isn't going to be so dire that you would have to end up in, oh, or else you would be living a different type of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So if we stay present and not feed the fear, you know, like because the fear is going to be what keeps you from living that fulfilled life. Yeah, I mean it's the same with anxiety. If I let my anxiety dictate my life, which I did for many years i wouldn't be sitting here in guatemala talking to you mm-hmm. i would be back in new york not coaching not talking about anxiety doing something totally different so what was what's funny is that my dysfunction um, may gave my life function right so something i kept so quiet and hidden became the thing that i talked about the most and Knowing how to address my anxiety and go on my medical journey and take meds has allowed me to live an active lifestyle,
0: 100%.
1: Um, And I'm assuming chronic pain is probably the same. It's like, okay, we can only do so much, but help yourself so that your chronic pain doesn't dictate um, and feed that fear that keeps you from living the life that you want to live, even with chronic pain.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite therapists who I've had on the podcast before, her name's Nicole Sachs, and she specializes in, in chronic pain. And she says all the time that chronic pain is an epidemic of fear. And just like fear is what fuels chronic pain. And so that's what all of her work is pretty much focused around. But I think that it, there's a lot of truth to that
1: a lot. I mean, there's, that's why it's so similar to
0: anxiety for sure. Mm -hmm. And okay. So I, I said, that was my last question, but one last question and then we're going to wrap up. (laughs) Um, what are, because this, I actually, this is what a lot of people asked me on Instagram when I shared that you were coming on the podcast. People want to know if you have any quick tips to, reduce anxiety in the moment. If, if, you know, you're in a meeting or you're in pain or you're in on an airplane or whatever it is, or anxiety comes up in any situation and you need a quick way to help calm yourself down.
1: Yes. So one of my go-tos is if you're in a meeting or on a plane, etc. uh, you could always excuse yourself to use a bathroom. Um, giving yourself a a bit of a pause so if I feel the anxiety is getting too strong and it might spiral I get up I put myself in a bed there's a bathroom normally wherever we are and then I run the water and I make sure the water is very 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 cold and then I put my wrists under it what that helps do is shift the brain to stop internalizing and shifting to oh this is cold hmm. so we're kind of That's we're kind of um we're kind of uh jumping and like almost jump-starting to get off this subject and onto a different subject. So now the brain has to identify with something else. So I'll always run my hands under cold water. I also tend to overheat when I'm anxious. Um, I'll get flush. And then when I get back to the table, I always order some water with a lot of ice so that I can t- keep trying to cool my system down. And then whilst I'm in the bathroom, i um, I will start saying to myself my what if, my what is statements, you know, what is the situation? I'm in a meeting. I'm okay. I'm not in danger. Your body's going into fight or flight. So we want to self soothe and I like to self soothe by talking to basically my brain, my amygdala. The amygdala is responsible for fight or flight and it's the side on the almond and it sits at the base of your brain. So I, I, always like to send people videos on where your amygdala is and what it looks like. And then I use it as a visual and I'll talk to it.
0: That's amazing. That's so interesting. Thank you so much. And lastly, are there any resources you have to recommend for everyone listening?
1: Yes. So one of the best books I've read thus far um, on anxiety is at first we make the beast beautiful by Sarah Wilson. Um, I find this to be very, an easy read. I find it to be very conversational and it, it, it's very, it's smart without being very overwhelming. Um, another great book, if you're not in therapy and are interested in therapy, but may want to try to do it on your own. Um, it's called the anti-anxiety workbook by Martin Anthony and Peter J. Norton. It walks you through every, it asks you questions. It's literally a a working book. So if you're not yet in the stages of therapy, and even if you are, I find it to be very useful. And one addition um, advice I will give, when you are reading about anxiety or learning about anxiety, try not to make it close to bedtime. Anxious people tend to have issues sleeping. Um, so we don't want to fill your brain with this so that you bring it into your nighttime. So try to find a time um, either in the afternoon or early evening so that you have a buffer after, so that, that you're not attaching.
0: Thank you so much. This is so helpful. I think that everyone listening is really going to take away a lot of important information. And where can everyone contact you or follow you? How can they reach you
1: so my uh yes my instagram is at t barilas and my website is trishbarillis.com. um and then um on a there there's a bunch of my um buckets of what i specialize in and then you can click to email my assistant if you want to get a consult There is a waiting list, but it's uh, it's running quite smoothly and going a bit quickly. So uh, those are the two best places to reach me.
0: Amazing. Thank you again for being here. I learned a lot. I can't wait for everyone to listen to this. And yeah, thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. This podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.